Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of Beyond the Known, our guest is Nick Myota, president of Southgate's Lease Service. Mr. President, how are you today? Fantastic. It's great to be here. Great to have you here. Yeah, lots to talk about with you, Nick. Your path in life wasn't always crystal clear. In fact, you've got a rather diverse educational background. Can you talk to us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I basically started, I talk about it like I'm a cat with nine lives. That's my career. And I think I'm on number eight at this point. But I did. I struggled, you know, even out of high school. You know, I knew I was going to go to college after but what did I wanted to study? I was good in science, good in math. And my dad suggested, oh, why don't, you know, engineering would be a great path for you. You know, you got the, the skill set to do it. And it was like, that was about all the thought that was put into it. It's like, yeah, that sounds good. You make a pretty good living. I think I could do that. And it was, boom, here we go. So I guess one thing would be that I would suggest is, you know, you don't have to rush and make a decision so soon. And I felt like I needed to you know, finish school like in four years. So I did everything I could to, you know, that last semester I was taking 18 credits and I was just busting myself to, I got to graduate. I got to graduate in four years. And I wish my, you know, 30 year old self back then would have said, you know, you don't have to rush. What's the rush? You know, take another semester, you know, take some time off, study abroad for a semester. There's no, you know, there's all this pressure of, you know, for young people, I feel like, they got to like be successful right away and they have to figure out their life and they have to like, you know, just do it right away. And it's, you have a lot of time. So I did the opposite. I picked a path right away and then I changed about three or four times along the way. Cause I really wasn't sure. And there were certain points in my life where I said, man, I, I don't know, is this what I really want to do? And, and I changed course a few times along the way. So what was it about some of these opportunities that you were chasing maybe that didn't sit as well with you as you would have liked. I mean, you were trying to figure it out. You were trying to think which direction I go. Okay, let's go this route. Well, that didn't fit. Well, let's try this route. Well, that didn't fit. Why were you having a difficult time finding something you were truly passionate about in those early stages? Yeah. And that's the key word is passion. You know, it, it was something that I was good at. It was providing a living, but it wasn't necessarily something that I really truly enjoyed and felt it in my gut. You know, I, I guess that would be something I would say is, you know, if, if you find yourself, you know, thinking about work or doing it at night or being excited in the morning to get up and go in there early and, and do it, you probably found something that you're passionate about. You know, if it's, if it's a struggle or if it's like, oh man, you know, I, I really don't want to go in today and deal with so-and-so, or I got this project that I'm really not too excited about. You know, those are, kind of some keys to say, well, maybe you're not on the right path, but it's hard to, you know, once you're in the mode, once you're in a career, you don't think about it. You know, you're just, you get up every day, you're doing your thing, you're, you know, life gets busy, you might raise a family, buy a house, and it just kind of snowballs to where, you know, 10 years goes by and then it's like, wow, why am I here? Why am I doing this? I don't even like this job, <laughs> you know, type of thing. So you, Part of it for me was, you know, some things happened along my career. You know, I lost my job and that was kind of a, a crossroads for me to force me to kind of say, 
you know, maybe I need to change course here. You know, maybe I want to look at something different at this point. And it was hard, you know, because I did have two kids at the time. You know, I, my wife knew I wasn't the happiest in what I had been doing, but it was kind of like, you know, I'm going to pause a little bit, take a deep breath and take some time to figure it out. And I did do that. And it took about a year and a half. And I tried a few things. I had a remodeling business that I did for a while because it was a hobby. And I thought, wow, that's something I'm passionate about. Maybe that could be something, you know, that I turn into a career. And, you know, people knew I could do that kind of stuff. So I started doing it. And, you know, my body started giving me some signs that, you know, if I'm going to do this for the next 20 years, you know, your body is your tool. And I've got maybe a little more brain than brawn, as you can see. And I just said, I don't think this is right. I want to keep this as a passion, as a hobby. You know, I don't want to turn this into my career. And I'd say that's another thing with, with people that, you know, want to do a hobby and turn it into their career. There's a different kind of mindset or pressure, you know, involved when it's making a living, when it's your income, when there's a lot more on the line when you're doing it. So all of a sudden you turn your hobby into your career you might not like it anymore as a hobby. It might, you know, kind of change the way you think about it. So to kind of keep those things separate, it took a while to kind of figure that out, but it's a process and it's, you have to be proactive on it. It's not just going to come to you, you know, so I would seek people out and do, you know, informational interviews. Hey, can I buy a cup of coffee? You know, I want to, I know you're in this, this field and I was looking at financial services at the time. So I would seek people out and, hey, let me buy you a beer. Let me, you know, buy you a cup of coffee. Let me pick your brain a little bit. What is this like? You know, do you enjoy doing it? What's a typical day? And, you know, to really be kind of more thoughtful or more proactive about making sure it's the right choice. Because, you know, you're, I'm, I'm pushing 40 at that point in my career. And I was like, you know, you want to get it right. You know, you don't want to keep making mistakes. So it just took me a lot longer to get to that point and figure it out. Yeah, so you're the president of Southgate Lease Services, and, and I think if we were to talk to the Nick Miota version of you 25 years ago, if I say, hey, guess what you're going to be doing in the year 2021, probably wouldn't have believed it very readily. I know there's a story behind how you got to be president of this organization. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? How did you end up in the position that you're in today? Yeah, well, believe it or not, it may not have been a total surprise because I mentioned it to my dad at one point when I was kind of struggling with, you know, after I graduated from undergrad about, oh, maybe I would, you know, join the family business someday, you know, work for 10 years or, or do something else. And then maybe I would come back. And it was kind of just a set in passing, you know, at the time. And I wouldn't have thought that, you know, things would kind of come full circle. And that would have been the case because the opportunity presented itself really through a you know, family tragedy situation. So my brother, my oldest brother, Kevin, you know, he had been with the family business basically his entire adult life, you know, even at the end of high school, all through college, you know, he just did it from, from day one, you know, is, is what he did and chose to do with his life. And so I knew a lot about the business when he was there and running it. And in 2013, it was actually the first year into the transition of, you know, my father transitioning the business to a new company that had been started. And my brother was leading that company. And basically the first year in, he, he came down with colon cancer and was diagnosed in, I want to say, November of 2013. 
and you know he had surgery. He had gone through the process of starting chemo treatment, and something happened, and he suddenly passed one evening on December 20th, and it kind of just turned everybody's lives upside down. You know, we, our extended family, we'd never had anybody pass, you know, early or been taken early. So it just, it was, and I, I had just kind of transitioned my career at that point, And I was having, you know, a lot of success in the financial services industry. It took a long time to, you know, figure out my path. And my dad approached me and said, what do you think about coming to the family business? And I was, I couldn't even wrap my head around it. I was like, what are you talking about? What? It was kind of totally out of left field. I hadn't even considered it or thought about it. And it took some time for that to sink in and digest. And, you know, we chatted about it and, you know, I knew of the business, but I worked for the business in high school, just kind of as a part-timer at one point. But it was a whole process of, you know, what does this mean? What does it look like? You know, what are, you know, just some of the basics of the business. How do you get new customers? How do you retain customers? How have you lost a lot of customers? You know, just everything about the business. So, uh, but ultimately we, we decided, you know, it made sense. And the thing that kind of tipped it for me was I didn't want to look back in 10 years and say, geez, I wonder what would have happened if I did it. You know, I knew the path I was on. That was kind of, I could predict, you know, what would happen there, but you know, coming to the family business, it was an unknown, but I just knew I had to leap. So I took a leap of faith and I went in there and said, all right, let's do it. Yeah, certainly hard to see a lot of good, at least initially, that comes out of a traumatic family situation like that. I mean, when you're in the middle of a storm, when it seems like your life is falling apart, when all these things are kind of coming at you, rapid fire, why is this happening to me you know, why did God take my brother away from me? I mean, I think it's very natural to have those types of feelings and emotions. So based on what you went through with the loss of your brother, you being thrust into this leadership position at Southgate Lease Services, what are some of the lessons you learned about yourself as well as the family business along the way, would you say? Well, I was determined, you know, that was failure was not an option, or at least it wasn't going to be from lack of effort if I did fail. And, you know, I kind of had the conversation with my dad. I said, you know, whether it's really, really successful or if I crash and burn, you know, I'm going to give it my all. So I think to kind of have that mindset of I'm all in, baby, it's, this is it, you know, I, let's make this happen. But then the, you know, kind of the business aspects kick in and, you know, that makes you think just about things like, well, we're a you know medium-sized business. Who are our competitors? So how do we attract, you know, new business and what are the dynamics that make this thing tick? And it took a while for me to kind of get a feel for that and why, you know, our customers are loyal to us and why they stick with us. And, you know, with what we do, you know, we're, you could say we're similar to a bank. You know, we extend credit to companies to service their transportation and their fleet needs. You know, if a business has fleet vehicles, they need vehicles to do their job that's where we help them. You know, we're experts in that area, but we're more flexible. We're not a bank, you know, so, and there's deep relationships that we have with our clients that I've learned is a wonderful thing. And it's, you know, it's, I'm really happy that, you know, uh, that we've been successful. And I'd like to think some of that is partly what I've done and implemented with, you know, trying to change the culture 
we had a lot of ingrained or you know really long tenured employees, very experienced people. But it's kind of you can develop sort of a like a tunnel vision, you know, if if you haven't had experience working in other places or in other industries or seeing things in a different way. So part of my role was to kind of, you know, say, hey, guys, you know, we've been around since 1973. We're, we're a decent size operation. Let's act like it. and Let's make decisions, you know, that are good for the business that reflect that. You know, some of the, the supplier decisions that we had, including, you know, ironically, our insurance partner, you know, it turns out it was a long-term relationship, but it really wasn't what the business needed. And it took a while to kind of figure some of that stuff out. And just one quick little story as well along those lines is, you know, I was trying to upgrade our service partners, our providers, our suppliers along the way, just because of some of the risk, you know, that we've seen with, you know, key man risk, the loss of my brother and what that does. Well, our IT provider was kind of a one-man band. You know, we got, you know, somebody knew this guy who knew him and he was kind of our, our computer and IT network guy for, you know, 10 years or so. And I got to know him and he's very, you know, jovial, nice guy and you know, did a pretty good job. He was responsive and learned a hard lesson when all of a sudden our website went kaput. Our company website, all of a sudden it's, you know, you click on the link, the domain, nothing shows up. What, you know, it's like, what's going on here? Is, is my computer internet down or what's, well, everybody tried it. No, nobody can get on. What's happening here? Well, it turned out he registered our computer domain name in his company credit card and it had expired. And we realized about a week later he had committed suicide. And so our website was completely down. He had control of our domain and our customers don't have access to our website. And we do have a, a login portal that our clients use. So it was kind of like a big deal. Like, what do we do here? And so literally we spent, you know, about a week and a half pleading with his family members to turn over our website domain so we could get control of it again and turn it back on. You know, lessons like that, I've had several similar experiences, you know, that, as I said, I've tried to upgrade along the way. And just to, you know, to take the risk off, you know, because it's, I think that was kind of lacking and I was able to bring that, you know, to the company and kind of upgrade in those areas. Well, I think this is an important topic to have for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is because leaders of organizations regrettably perish from time to time. You know, it's one thing when somebody retires and you can kind of plan for that and you can kind of expect it, but all of a sudden, the leader of an organization passes suddenly. Now what do we do? Especially if an organization maybe doesn't even have a succession plan in place. Now you got this team scrambling, trying to pick up the pieces. So what advice would you give to our listeners who might find themselves in a similar situation at some point moving forward? How were you guys able to right the ship? How were you able to keep the organization going? Yeah, great question. And we were fortunate. You know, our, we have very loyal customers that kind of hung in there to kind of let us figure out, you know, a solution, a path forward without immediately like jumping ship. But it's kind of, you know, business can be kind of cruel in that, you know, when a person moves on or passes or the business doesn't stop and quickly the customers start saying, well, that's really a terrible, tragic situation. I feel awful, but I also have a need here that I have to worry about. 
you know, I have a responsibility to my company and business moves fast. It doesn't wait for, for, you know, things to happen or for situations to get resolved over long periods of time. So, you know, really you have to react fairly quickly. And I think, you know, we did fairly quickly, but, you know, we also had a great customer base that was willing to, you know, give us a little extra leeway and let us figure out, you know, the situation as it happened. And, you know, the lesson that I learned, you know, just, you know, personally about it is, I don't know if my wife is going to listen to this, but hopefully not, because I've got a tremendous amount of life insurance, you know, that as part of this, I realized, you know, if something were to happen to me, you know, I don't want to leave the business in a precarious financial position. I want, you know, my affairs to be handled if, if the worst thing happened, you know, so that was kind of a, a key lesson learned is, you know, we have advisors, you know, we work with a lot of great people, you know, and I would say tap into your advisors, tap into those folks that can look at your business from an outsider's perspective, because sometimes on the inside, you know, you have, you're so into it day in and day out that, you know, you don't think about things in a certain way. So, you know, just your de facto advisors, maybe your accountants, maybe your bankers, maybe your lawyers, just to, you know, seek that advice, you know, when you meet with them, hey, what, what do you think about this? How should I be thinking about, you know, managing the risk of my business in a certain way? Is there anything you, you could recommend? Or, you know, that's, I think that's an important piece of it. Well, one of the other things, Nick, that you and I have in common, outside of the fact that we're insanely good looking, is you and I started running organizations from outside of our respective industries. Obviously, this is a family business for you. You were a logical pick, but your background was not automobiles. Your background was not lease services. Why does it make sense to have an outsider like Nick Miota run an organization that they haven't had a whole lot of experience in? Talk me through that, will you? Sure, sure. Well, I think that, you know, the path that I was on, as crazy and strange as it was, it actually was a great foundation and training for me, uh, particularly my three years in the financial services world was, was really a great background. And, you know, it's there's commonalities to every business, but then there's nuance or specifics that, you know, you have to learn. So, you know, I kind of rolled up the sleeves and, and started learning those things as quickly as I could not having that expertise, you know, when I came in, but, you know, you offer a fresh perspective as well, a different way of doing things that, you know, that is beneficial to a business. You know, I think that's allowed me some success. And, you know, there was things that just had to be done in the business itself to move on to the next level and things that I had seen in various, you know, businesses, for example, you know, implementing a new ERP system you know, the engine that runs a business. I've been through a couple of those in the manufacturing industry, as well as in the financial services industry. And those are very, very painful, you know, things to go through. But I kind of knew we had to do that. And one of the reasons was our CFO was getting near retirement age. And he was, you know, he kind of concocted this proprietary system using an IBM AS400 from 1980. And if something happened to him, God forbid, we would have been sunk again. You know, so there's another, I guess, a common theme of, you know, just the risk with, and it doesn't have to be a leader or a key leader in the company. It could be just a key individual that knows where all the bodies are buried or has the keys to, you know, flip the switch or knows, you know, when something happens or goes down, knows how to get it back up and running. 
and that was, that was a big financial decision and quite a painful one. I mean, if it was a surgery, that's akin to a heart transplant for the business. So we were able to kind of move past that and I don't want to do that anytime soon, but, <laughs> but it was, you know, so maybe it took an outsider's perspective and maybe somebody that, you know, was a little more confident that, hey, we got to do this and we can get it done. I don't know how we're going to do it, but, but we got through it. We got through it. So when we talk about professional development, I mean, there's on-the-job training, there's hands-on training, and I'm always curious, you know, what's on the shelf of a C-suite executive? What's on the shelf of a leader? And it's always fascinating to me what people are reading. What are you reading, Nick Miota, or what books would you recommend? Well, and kind of on topic with what we were talking about earlier, I just kind of wanted to pass this on to, to folks that might be at a crossroads in their career or you know maybe they're even starting out in their career but a book that personally helped me through that and work through that process is called what color is your parachute by richard bowles it is i would say a self-help book but it's it requires a lot of active participation to kind of work through it 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 kind of gives a framework though to kind of help you work through the process so you're not just kind of on your own and I do believe I looked at it last night. They do have one for teens as well. So if you have you know young children like like mine that are in high school about to make that transition into college or maybe a trade, there is one for teens. I haven't read it yet. I can't recommend it. But you know if it's anything like the book that that helped me, I think it would be worthwhile. So what would you say are some of the unique challenges of running a family-owned business? I mean, running a business is running a business. You know, you either have business savvy or you don't. You got the business chops or you don't. But running a family-owned business, I would say, is slightly different. It's its own unique entity. It's its own unique beast. So based on your experience, your background, talk to us a little bit about that. What are some of the challenges or some of the nuance in being associated with a family-run organization? Yeah, I mean, it is it is its own unique, you know, animal for sure. It's not like, I mean, I've worked in public traded companies and privately held companies, and but then there's, you know, the, the small family business dynamic, which is kind of completely, you know, its own kind of thing. My guiding, you know, philosophy was always, you know, do what's in the best interest of the business you know, to try to guide some of those decisions, you know, it's, but it can be challenging. You know, if I've got two children, I don't think this will be, you know, kind of their passion in life based on what I know about them at, you know, the ages that they are at. I could be wrong, but I, my daughter's going into nursing and my son, you know, not quite sure where he's going to go, but that's a possibility, you know? So at some point, you think about, well, what is the best path forward? And maybe, you know, sometimes selling the company is the best path forward. You know, it, it just kind of depends. But then again, you could have somebody else step up, maybe an extended family member or a spouse or somebody that, you know, steps in and shows an interest in it where it's like, wow, you know, so maybe there's something out there that, that you didn't even think about or somebody that you didn't think about that all of a sudden approaches you and expresses an interest and, And there you go. Boom. You know, you might have your next plan. Well, I've asked you this question previously. Southgate Lease Services is not the only organization that does what it does. I think you guys do your job fairly well. I mean, you guys are well-respected in the industry. But if an individual organization, let's say, wants to hire you for your services, 
What are they going to get with Southgate Lease Services that they can't find with any other organization? What would you say your unique differentiator in the marketplace is? We just, I mean, it sounds cliched maybe, but the relationships that we have with our clients, I think is is the differentiator. You know, it's, I don't want to say it's a, it is friendly, it's a friendship, but it's also a partnership. And that's kind of how we view it is their success is our success and vice versa. You know, we're trying to grow, we're trying to be successful. We want to work with, you know, like-minded companies that are wanting to see their businesses grow. And it's kind of a journey, you know, like we say like renting vehicles is like dating somebody, but leasing vehicles, that's marriage, man. That's, you're all in, that's a real intricate thing. So, you know, you really want to make sure who you're working with and that it's a good fit. And, you know, that's a very transparent kind of relationship. You know, we have great conversations, you know, with our clients, we help them plan, we help, you know, them strategize. Cause a lot of times for a small business, we had a conversation with an individual yesterday. He's like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm running a construction company. I've got 45 trucks. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not what I want to do. I want to focus on my business. I need help. How can you guys, you know, take this burden off my plate? You know, that's the typical example of an ideal situation. You know, let us be, you know, the extension of your company. We're almost like employees of his company managing, you know, his fleet of vehicles. And that's, so you want to find an ideal fit like that. And we've been fortunate to find several customers that are like that. Yeah, as you would say, it takes a pretty special person to be an effective leader. And I think you're too humble to say it, so I'll say it for you. You, my friend, are a pretty effective leader. And I think you've had to learn the hard way, kind of trial by fire, so to speak. But, you know, you've really been a good student of leadership. You've really gone through this process with your eyes wide open. And kudos to you. You've learned a lot along the way, and you've implemented a lot of those lessons. What would you say are the three traits that make a very effective leader? Somebody's new to this position, new to this role, well, for the one that I like the most, and I actually heard it yesterday, and it's kind of timely because the Masters is this week, and I've got my Masters shirt on, and I was fortunate enough to be there two years ago when, you know, when there was full crowds there, and that was the year that Tiger actually won it. And, you know, Jordan Spieth has had a dry spell of about three years since he's won a tournament, and he won on Sunday, uh, the Valero Open in Texas. And one of the things he said after was, you know, I'm humble and hungry. I think for me, that's, that's an attribute I really admire in leaders, humble and hungry, you know, not bombastic and, you know, I'm the greatest and, you know, but it's almost like, to me, it's anybody can do the right thing or, you know, when everybody's watching, you know, like put in the extra time or look what I did. You know, I like to look at a true effective leader is somebody that does the right thing when nobody's looking, you know, when it's Saturday morning and I'm in there bright and early, you know, because I'm, I'm wanting this company to grow. I'm wanting us to get to the next level. You know, I'm not doing it for, you know, for show. I'm not doing it because, hey, maybe my boss will be in on, you know, Saturday and they'll notice me and they'll say, hey, Nick was really in here early. I mean, it, at some point that, that doesn't mean anything anymore. It's just, you know, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. There's no shortcutting it, you know. So I would say, you know, just embrace that fact, you know, that you're going to have to work a little harder especially if you were thrust into a situation and then, you know, try to identify, you know, leaders that, that speak to you or that connect with you and learn more about them, you know, and kind of develop your own style. Everybody's going to be unique. You don't have to be like, 
you know, any particular person or style, you got to develop your own and just be authentic is, is kind of what it comes down to, I think. Well, some really good advice from an individual who's got a ton of credibility in that area, I would say. So, Nick, as we get close to kind of wrapping up, I mean, ours is a rather business-centric audience, C-suite executives, decision makers, people that are trying to become the best possible version of themselves, run successful organizations, much like you're talking about. There's a tremendous need for your services out there. Lots of organizations have fleets. Lots of organizations have vehicles. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about the specific services that Southgate Lease Services offers, who's a good fit for what you offer and provide, and then tell us if somebody wants to move forward, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So we are based here in Milwaukee. That's where our office is located, but we can do vehicles anywhere in the country. And we have vehicles now, I believe, in over 45 states. And as of this month, we're delivering seven vehicles in the state of Hawaii. So that's kind of a nice little feather in our cap for this month. I'm going to volunteer to visit that client as soon as possible. I was just going to say, if you need somebody to deliver those, I will sign up for the task. Absolutely. We'll go together. So yeah, I mean, it's if the number of vehicles is 150 or less, that's kind of our niche. You know, we're not the mega fleets. We don't service the huge pharmaceutical companies that have 5,000 vehicles or 40,000 vehicles like, you know, AT&T. That's not our niche. You know, we're tied into the smaller fleets. We do equipment leasing as well as vehicles. So it's not just things with four wheels, although that's where we shine. We help maintain the vehicles. But even if, you know, companies want to just, if they purchase their vehicles and they want to continue to purchase them, if they want somebody to just offer some advice or say, hey, do you think we're doing things right? Is, are we doing best practices here? Because sometimes companies may not, you know, they might not have an expert. We're happy to offer our advice or just, you know, offer some insight. That's kind of what we're here for. That's what everybody's passionate about. That's what we do every day. And that's kind of our mission. So feel free to reach us at 414-529-2992 is our number. Or, you know, with this podcast, I'm happy to share my email if anybody wants to get in touch and network, connect, talk about business, talk about, you know, just anything if it's not even specific to their business. I just, I really like our community of leaders here and you know, we're kind of a, a tighter group here in the city of Milwaukee, which I think is awesome. You know, so I'm happy to connect and, and reach out to folks and just help in any way I can. Well, just to make sure that I heard you correctly, when you walked into the studio, you said if somebody says promo code beyond the known, they get 95% off their lease, right? That's what you said? Sure. <laughs> I didn't specify what the lease was, though. It could be for this Matchbox car that uh, right here. Well, that's a pretty sweet looking Matchbox car. I think Hudson, my six-year-old, would really like that. Well, Nick, I just got to really sincerely thank you for being on the program. Thank you for sharing with us your story your leadership passions, uh, kind of what has brought you here today. And one of the words that pops in my head when I think of you, at least not the four-letter words, but one of the words that pops into my head when I think of you is the word duty, which happens to be a four-letter word. But it's just, I mean, you've lived your life, I think, with a sense of duty. Duty to your brother when he passed. Duty to your family to step in and run the organization a duty to your customers to constantly be a man of integrity, a duty to your employees. And, you know, speaking as somebody who's your friend, a duty to your, your friends. And it's, uh, it's a blessing to know you. It's been fun to cheer you on and to watch your success. And I know you're just getting started. So thank you for your time here today on Beyond the Known. It was an enlightening conversation and yeah, very grateful for the wisdom you shared with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.